Hey, Graham. Let me guess, Taven. You got another joke for me? Oh, well, I mean, I, I will, but I've got something else first. What? Do you remember our friend Sam Smith and his Green Writer course? Are you talking about Sam Smith, S.D. Smith, Samuel Dennison Smithertons? All, all of the above. Our friend who's been on this podcast multiple times. Yep, I vaguely remember him. Well, here's the thing. Uh-huh. Are you a Green Writer like S.D. Smith? <gasps> or do you maybe want to be? Because a green writer is going. It's got the green light. A green writer is not waiting for the perfect timing or for permission to be a writer or until we're no longer afraid of being a writer. We're going and we're growing like a green living thing. Green writers are not yet what they will be. We're in the process, which means we need grace and gumption. I like those that word. Grace and gumption. Both those words. GG. GG, yeah. Green writers have grace, grace and, and gumption. gumption. Good, yeah. I don't know if you know this, Graham. The Green Rider is for aspiring writers, and it's 12 accessible sessions, plus a bonus session, that will inspire and equip your aspiring author. Whether that's you, Graham, or maybe the aspiring writers in your home or my home, or maybe it's kids who are listening. You can actually try three free lessons and get the Green Rider at greenrider.sdsmith.com. And here's the deal. Here's the big thing. Got to remember this, Graham. If you use the code WITHYWINDLE, W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E, you can get $10 off the course. So again, if you use the code, the name of this podcast, you can get $10 off. Let me get this straight. You get three free lessons. And then if you like it, you get $10 off using our special code. That's right, Graham. If you use the code with window, you get $10 off, but you also do get those three free lessons when you go to greenwriter.sdsmith.com. That feels like a really good deal. Incredible. And we know that the kids who are listening to this podcast love stories. A lot of them want to be writers. So I, I don't know. It seems like it's kind of too good to pass up. Yeah. Thanks to uh, the Green Rider and for S.D. Smith, Samuel Dennison Smitherton for sponsoring Withywindle yeah. the rest of this season. We're excited to have them back. So that that was excellent and all, but now uh, do you have that joke for me? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, hold on. Let me just go into my joke Rolodex here. <laughs> so I have the cool vault, the joke vault, and you have the joke Rolodex. Yeah. Okay. What's wrong with that? No, I'm just wondering. Like, mine's a whole room of jokes, and you've got, like, this antiquated um, uh, rolling well, system. Well, you have... I have more discerning taste. I have curated, curated a more narrow yeah. a more narrow list of jokes. Like this one. What, Graham? Do you call a camel with no hump? Uh, a camel with no hump. I don't know. What is it? Humphrey. <laughs> <laughs> Humphrey. Shout out to my son Coulter for that one. All right. So even though, okay, I I like this joke. Camels need names. Camels need names. Humphrey by itself already gets some points because that is a (laughs) a great name. That is a great name. Exactly. I'm giving that one a 6.5. 6.5. You know, I feel like 6.5 is that threshold where it's like, that's a really, that's a really pretty good joke. Yes, I agree. You know, getting higher than that. I don't know. We're setting a precedent if we go higher than that. Here's a joke. Okay. David, uh, why can't you trust stairs? Ooh. Uh, are you talking about me particularly? or Because they're always up to something. <laughs> That's a good one. That came from the vault? This came from Lily, who is a listener to the podcast. and Lily the listener. And is from Dubuque, Iowa. Hey, we know Dubuque, Iowa. We lived in Dubuque, we did. Iowa. So Lily, Lily the listener from Dubuque, Iowa. Why don't we just say, let's give, let's give the both a 6.5. You think that'd be yeah. fair? 
I think so. Yeah. But right. Maybe mine's just the better 6.5 though. I mean, but because I said it and you know, because you're the one that said it out loud. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You saying that it's your joke though, like a little bit, maybe a bit of a stretch. Uh, enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. <laughs> Welcome back to Withywindle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. Graham, I haven't made a mistake on that this whole season. Also, I'm David Kern. And if you wanted to wake me up, you would yell, Graham Pittman, into the room. Graham Pittman! Oh, oh. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm up. I'm up. What are we doing? We are here. We're, it's Withy Window. Oh, yes. Of yeah, course. right. On this week's episode, we're going to have a great time. We're going to talk about chapter seven and eight of the Phantom Tollbooth. We have a riddle at the end. And of course, we're going to give the answer to last week's riddle. We've got lazy words coming again. We also have a conversation with the wonderful John Hendricks, who is a great illustrator. He's written graphic novels. He's done uh, books for he, the pictures and books for other people. He's done all kinds of really interesting stuff. And we had a great time chatting with him. Yeah. So we're going to get to that in a minute. And he really likes Cardinals and wizards if i remember correctly as cardinals and wizards yeah you know i can i can understand though the wizards part the cardinals part i have a bit of a problem we with, both but... have a problem with that one um re- when it relates to sports first though graham mm. we have a thing that we do on this podcast it's called snack time snack time and, and this week you know how like when you're playing soccer and it's like you're week to bring the snacks you bring the juice boxes or the capri suns and you bring like maybe some cheetos or something i thought just moms brought those you brought your own juice boxes you didn't go to the Seven Eleven on the way to the game and pick up the stuff for your for your teammates. No, I just assumed, your mom did that. I'm just assuming moms can do that. I'm just assuming all moms brought all things. Oh, when I was a child, to oh, okay. anything. Right. Well, um, now that you're an adult, mm-hmm. you should know. I wouldn't be drinking. The, the a question juice is: box, Did so. you bring snacks this week? Because that was I was leading up to asking whether you brought the snacks this week. I knew where you were going, but I got confused in the middle. Oh, okay. Okay. So journeys uh, are journeys can be long and winding. <laughs> I brought a uh, what what they call a southern spread today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this barbecue, this banquet of, of snacks consists of two things. Yep. One uh, you see in front of you. Yep. It okay. is a uh, cheer wine. It's a soft drink. It's a cheer wine say. soft drink, also known <laughs> or as, as a they soda. Say in Dubuque, Iowa, a pop, <laughs> a pop, uh, which is a delicious cherry. Uh, not a cola. It's just a, a cherry, it's, mystical cherry drink. It's a mystical cherry drink. Yeah, right. But to go along in fact, with... it just says, drink, cheer, wine, soft drink. There we go. Oh, uh, brewed in... Brewed? Bottled? 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 Concocted? Concocted in, in, in our, our, our delightful town. state in That's North, right, Carolina. North Carolina. And to go along with that... Uh, Moon pies! Another southern delicacy. Oh, not, man. Not from our beloved state of North Carolina, but from our neighboring state of... Tennessee. If I'm, I, don't quote me, but I think these were created in Chattanooga. Baked by Chattanooga Bakery Inc. from Chattanooga, Tennessee, 37401. Hey, he's just reading that off the back of the package. So guess what? You can quote me. <laughs> these things were made in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Graham Pittman. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm unwrapping yeah. mine now. So we got a southern spread. And if you remember from previous episodes, we've learned that you can eat Cheetos. With chopsticks, you, you have yeah. Are you so I the chopstick? No, I, I I've taken Cheetos and I've um, crunched them all up and added a bit of water and rolled them out and I've made chopsticks out of my Cheetos. <laughs> 
to eat my Cheetos with. And then when I'm done, I'm just going to eat these chopsticks too. I believe that's what they call next level. Also yes. over the top. But it, it's kind of, it's not really solving the Cheeto dust problem. It's actually kind of making it worse, I think. Um, uh, but I like having a utensil you can eat. Have you ever thought, you know how I just said that like that seemed over the top? Mm-hmm. Some people would say next level. I'm saying over the top. Yeah. I like how those are basically like one of those is a nice way of saying the same thing. Yeah. And the other one is a negative way of saying the same thing. I would just call them genius. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're getting Cheeto dust everywhere. So you're going to clean that up if you would here in my studio. Like it's just getting everywhere. Yeah. So can you clean that up when we take a break? Well, and I'm going to eat this moon pie. It's gotten airborne. I don't know what I can do. It's in the vents. We're going to have to. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's very, there's it's an orange mist. It's going to be a problem. <laughs> Cover your moon pies. We'll be back in a second. And we're back. I would say that the solution to the uh, Cheeto dust was it was a little incomplete and we had to leave the room and go somewhere else. Uh, But, you know, we did eat delicious moon pies. So, you know, little good, little bad. Yeah, that's just how life is. But we're back now with... Lazy words. Lazy words. And you know what? I th- I think that the troll will probably take care of all that Cheeto dust in no time. <laughs> That's true. Now that we're gone, he's going to come out. That's he's true. Gonna he's look just... around and he's just going to suck all the Cheeto dust. He's just going to envelop it. And then, it, well, of course, he's, uh, do, do, he's gonna, like in his fur, his material. He's just going to be all Cheeto dusty. Yeah, he'll love it. Yeah, it's going to be great. He'll love it. He'll be like, this is disgusting. I love it. <laughs> yeah, in whatever language that, that is that he speaks. All right, so lazy words. Everybody's favoritest, laziest segment <laughs> where we identify words we think have been given a very lazy name and we seek to correct it. Things like roller coaster and space. <laughs> Still think that one's funny. <laughs> well, All right. This week's lazy word. Well, first off, last week. Oh, right. We, How could I forget? We, we brought up the word afternoon. That's right. As a lazy word. You know, we got morning has its own word, evening has its own word, but afternoon just references another time, calls itself. <laughs> uh, I'm, so I'm getting tired just thinking about how lazy that is. <laughs> I'm feeling lazy. It's so lazy. Oh, yeah. So we got lots of suggestions. I'm going to read a few. Molly thinks instead of afternoon, it should be called binge reading time, <laughs> since that's what she does in the afternoon. I pre- I like this. Uh, Rhiannon thinks it should be called hot time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It gets pretty it's hot. The hot the it's the heat of the day. They say the heat of the day. Uh, Lucy thinks it should be called time after time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Very esoteric. the song there. time after time there. Anna thinks it should be called Noon's Lighthouse. <laughs> and, Good job. Uh, Christy thinks it should be called Postprandium, which is po- Latin for lunch. Postprandium? Mm-hmm. Wow. Fancy. That's a word. That's a word right there. Annika gave us three options. Okay. Bright time. You know, giving three options is the opposite of lazy, I will I, say. Yes, exactly. Golden hours. Good job. And yep. lazy long time. <laughs> One word. Lazy long time. These are all good. They're all better than afternoon. Uh, The Nygards think it should be called Sun Peak. 
Sun Peak. Which mm. that sounds beautiful. Again, too. all of these are better than afternoon. Uh, Joseph thinks it should be called Sublime Time. Sublime Time. And the Friedhart kids uh, think it should be called Post Intercron. After Middle Time. Huh. Post Intercron. We have some smart listeners. I, I agree. I think maybe they're too smart for us. Should we just quit this show? I've always known they were smart, and then we do this segment, and it just proves the point. Yeah, it makes it. Yeah, I don't think we're going to quit the show because we have smart listeners. I think we just need to keep creating good smart content. <laughs> we just need or to do, start creating. We need to do a better content. job. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> then give us this week's lazy word, and we'll see if they can if they can live up to what they've done so far. Okay, I like um, what we did last time. I'm going to have you try to guess the lazy the word? lazy word that I'm thinking of. Okay. All right. This is a food specifically. A dessert. It is not the dessert in front of you. Moon pie, which is a great word. That is not a lazy no, word. That's a great word. Okay. Um, this is a dessert. I'm, I'm, you like it. Almost everybody likes it. You bake it in a pan. <laughs> um, pan can mean a lot of things here. A lot of times in a square pan. Like a cobbler or a crisp? Oh, not a cobbler or crisp. cheesecake. No, 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 not a uh, springform pan. I, d- I don't know. What could is it? Could go very well with vanilla ice cream. I guess all those things you just said could as well. Apple pie? No. What? This is a darker color, kind of chocolatey, pretty chocolatey. <laughs> what is it? Brownies. Oh. <laughs> 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 Everyone, all these kids are listening like, brownies, man, brownies. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Brownies is, is pretty crazy. a delectable. It's delicious. Yeah. Confection. Yeah. yeah. What should we call it? Well, let's, it's kind of brown. Why don't we just call it a brownie? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No, this is wrong. We've got to come up with a new name for one of America and the world's most beloved desserts. Yeah, that's true. We and can't you're right. just call ice cream. it a brownie. You know, it, 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 just just again referencing its color and ending a little, putting a little ending on yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, okay, let's 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 try to come up with a few here. I got one. Do you, you have one in mind? Yeah, Choco Block. Choco Block. That's good. That's good. I came up with that all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> all by yourselves, huh? Uh-huh. All of you, all both of you. All many um, of me. Yep. Okay, that's a good one. It's not fair. I get to think about it a little more than you do. <laughs> uh, um, it's I'm busy in my head. I've got like brownies are kind of like when they're hot, they're melty. There's a gooey, like not in a bad yeah, way. A yeah, gooey, yeah, yeah. a really great texture. They're they're dense, but not too dense. Like even goo chunk. Chocolate, yeah, goo chunk, yeah. <laughs> um, chocolate, chocolate block is good. Okay, I feel like everybody has their own recipe for brownie too. Like everybody mm-hmm. loves them. You, they're good out of a box. They're good. Your grandma's recipe is good. I mean, I don't know about your grandma's recipe, but most, you know, most people's grandma's recipe are good, and they get passed on and so forth. So I'm thinking something that's got to be along the lines of um, how universal they are. Okay. Um, like, uh, um. maybe we now understand why they call them brownies (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah okay i like this theory you're positing that the the brownie committee 
thought for a very long time about this. The dessert naming committee mm-hmm. got together for a long time and they couldn't get any come up with anything better. And they thought, I don't know why they didn't go with chocolate block. Or why do they didn't ask children? Of- yeah, exactly. Because we know exactly. we are going to get some great suggestions. It- so... Hey, kids, it's in your hands now. You need to you need to save the world from the evil that is. I don't know if it's evil. From the inconvenience, inconvenience from the <laughs> lack of creativity, the banality, the, the banality of the name brownie for one of the best desserts in the world, maybe the universe. So, if kids want to participate in this exercise and reveal their genius to us, how should they do that, Graham? They are going to email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Hey, speaking of podcasts at goldberrybooks.com and kids sending feedback, I need help with something else. Oh, okay. Because some of our friends, some kids who listen to this podcast came to the bookstore. And cool. they wanted to meet, I thought they wanted to meet me. No, they just wanted to meet the bookstore troll. They wanted to meet the bookstore troll. I don't remember these children at all. Well, you weren't there. Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You weren't there. So they came in, we chatted for a while, and just shout out to the Watson kids, the, uh, the Watson boys who came in and read books, and they hung out and went down to the lair. And they met the troll. They went down to the bookstore troll's lair. Well, the thing is, he was kind of hiding, and so they didn't get to meet him face to face. Yeah, he doesn't antagonize children as much as he does us. Right, he also likes daytime. He's more shy of kids. and yeah. He doesn't really like to come out in the daytime when it's really busy. And they were asking what the bookstore troll's name is. And here's oh. the thing. The bookstore troll, I realized, has never officially told us no. what his name is. And I'm thinking, what if, what if this is why? Hmm. What if no one's ever given him a name? Oh. And yeah, I do be. feel like we should name... We know him well enough now. He's a part of our lives enough now that we should name the bookstore troll. So the Watson boys actually sent me, we were talking about this, Mm -hmm. and they sent me some ideas for names for the troll. Can I throw some at you? I I just want to share with the Watson boys uh, what they said. Okay, so here's a a few. Thump. Thump? Thump the troll. Good onomatopoeia name. Thief. Thief, yeah. Clonk. Clonk is a good one. Clonk's a good name for a troll. Dennis. (laughs) Dennis. <laughs> De- Dennis the troll. Okay. Yeah. I, I like that. A little bit. He humanizes him a little bit, right? Yeah. It's not just describing how he moves. Uh, <laughs> Schubert. Schubert. Which I like. It's a little bit close to one of my favorite desserts, though. Right. And I feel like if the troll was wearing um, uh, spectacles, maybe he'd be more of a Schubert. Schubert. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's Schubert. <laughs> Uh, here's one. Fred. Fred. Yeah, I could see that. Fred the, Fred the troll. I could see that. Gar- Gargalhauser. Gargalhauser the troll. Wow. It's next level, I think. That's right there. really Gargalhauser's good. a good one. Mr. Sneak Sneak? <laughs> <laughs> accurate. I believe that's an accurate name. It is. He can be sneaky if he wants to be. Sometimes he's Mr. Clonk Clonk. It's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay, two more here from the Watson boys. Barf Basher? Disgusting and bits. <laughs> and then finally, cheesecake. Cheesecake. Cheesecake the troll. Okay. So what we need is we need to figure out what we're going to name this bookstore troll. So can oh, get, we need more suggestions. Should we do, Should we have, like, do we think we have enough here to choose I think one? there's really strong ones in there, but. Okay. Let, let's do this. Let's take these, this list and let's let the kids that are listening send in which they think of these. Is the best. Is the best name. Give us a little reason why. Okay. So here's the, here's the list again. Thump. So Thump the Troll, Thief the Troll, Clonk the Troll, 
Dennis the Troll, Schubert the Troll, Fred the Troll, Gargelhauser the Troll, Mr. Sneak Sneak the Troll, Barf Basher the Troll, or Cheesecake the Troll? Which of those do you think yeah. is what we should name wow. our bookstore what troll? What a list. And we, I mean, we still might just call him Bookstore Troll, but we'll know what his name is. We'll be able to introduce him. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, be, he might appreciate it and be a little nicer to us, too. We'll pick the name, you know, based on the feedback we get from the kids, but then we still got to run it by the troll. This right. is true. We should at least, we should, maybe we slip a note under the door that just says, hey, we have an idea. We have an idea. Yeah. Like, like a peace it. offering. A peace offering. Peace yeah. offering. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see what he says. But let's, let's get a vote from the listeners. So kids, send us in, send us in and, you know, you, what you think. And then we'll, we'll, we'll run that by him. See what he says. I love this. This is great. Well, that brings us to the end of Lazy Words. We'll be back in just a minute with Book Time. Tillywooks, Rempelder, Fubel, DeWillick, Eggledamlock, Quickle, Baba, Noskark. Uh, David, what are you doing? Reading Goblish, Graham. Rump, Thizzle, Thimble, Doss, Skillet, DeBillick, Silligrum, Thumpus, Max, Gooley, uh, Villick, Bark. <laughs> Why are you reading Goblish? Graham, I'm trying to find out who killed the Goblin King in Ken Preby's new book. Oh, yeah. Isn't he the author of Gnomes of the Cheese Forest? That's the one. His newest book, Goblabet, is about a group of goblins on trial for the mysterious murder of the king. And I, Graham, am trying to crack the code and find the three guilty goblins who committed the crime. Uh, that sounds like fun. Where do I get a copy? Graham, I am glad you asked. Our friends at Bandersnatch Books are publishing treasures like this found off the beaten path. So right now, you can visit bandersnatchbooks.com slash withywindle, and you can use the code withywindle to get 10% off your order. And my favorite thing about this is all of the codes for all of our sponsors are just the name of our podcast, withywindle, W-I-T-H-Y-D-I-W-I-N-D-L-E. <laughs> Did I get that? You got that. And you know, I was kind of like playing a part here where I was like, where do I get that book? I know where to get it because I've got it. It's at my house right now. My son is probably still awake trying to figure out who killed the Goblin King. <laughs> is it good? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Oh, good. So That's he good. came out with some theories already. As he's been reading it. Did the Goblin Queen is one of that one of his theories? Mm, I'm not saying nothing. All right, all right, all right. I'll just finish the book and then I'll figure it out. But speaking of books, Graham, yeah. that brings us to book time here on this podcast right now. We're going to talk about chapters seven and eight of the book that we're reading right now, The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Juster. And before we uh, dive into seven and eight, I'm just going to say it right now. Yes. Because I, I forget half the time. Next week, we're going to go through 9, 10, 11. We're going to do three? We're going to do three. I think it deserves it. Okay. So now, yes, back to seven and eight. Okay, so seven and eight. One thing I noticed about this section, which is called the Royal Banquet, which that chapter seven is called the Royal Banquet, is mm. there is a lot of Word cliches. Play? Oh, yeah, cliches. Things like that. And I was thinking maybe we should um, almost every line talk about <laughs> some of our favorite cliches. Like, what are some cliches that you use in uh, in regular life? Maybe we should just explain all the cliches because no. all the kids might not get. No, them. no, 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 no. No, I'm just kidding. Graham, do you know what a cliche is? Cliches are, I guess you would say, they're like phrases that are overused to the point where they're somewhat annoying. I think, but and or also that, that everybody kind of knows them. Everybody knows them. Yeah, it doesn't mean they're not true. I'd say most cliches are pretty true, or they wouldn't have stuck around for so long. 
things like the speed of light or in the nick of time. Right. And then the entire chapters that we just read. <laughs> or cat got your tongue. Yeah, exactly. They're interesting images or metaphors, but they've been used so much that they kind of have become... Clichés. Clichés. They're yeah. cliché. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are clichés now underrated because they've been used so much that we just gloss over them? <laughs> and we don't actually think about the profundity encapsulated well, in that's so, true. so few words? This section showed us just how clever a lot of clichés actually are. Even though they're clichés, there's a lot of cleverness behind their creation. So mm -hmm. it might not be clever to use them all the time, but their, their original clue... They were not lazy words. Clichés were not originally lazy words. True. <laughs> yeah, and so in this chapter, um, Milo and Talk go into the to the king's palace, which is shaped like a giant book. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Good start to the feast. Uh, for real. Uh, they get into the long table. They are seated in a seat of honor. Uh, all the people they've met so far, or characters they've met so far, they're not all people, uh, <laughs> are there. Uh, but it turns out, not a great meal. Well, you tell me. I don't think this meal sounds very good. What do you think? Well, he, our, our, our guy here, Milo, he didn't really realize that he could eat whatever he said. So the people that said smart, smartly said things that were delicious, their meals sounded pretty good. Yeah. But, okay, if you could were, say whatever yeah, you wanted. Yeah, because they had to eat their words. Exactly. Eat their words. So if you had to eat your words, what would you say? Uh, moon pie, cheer wine, uh, brownie. I mean, chock-a-block. Chock-a-block. All in one. Is that one thing? Is that a moon pie, brownie, cheer wine? Like However, one whatever, whatever format it needs to be in. What would you yell? What would I yell? I would probably yell something related to um, ice cream and mm -hmm. I would scream ice cream and, it, and maybe like... Um, that's just a hamburger or something like that. Yeah. Well, that sounds pure American, too. You need a brownie with that. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, the king seems very literal because um, yeah, at first Milo says, maybe we'll have a light meal. And they bring out light. Yeah. yeah. And then he says... Puns right there. Yeah, huh? maybe, uh, maybe a square meal. And they bring out squares. What's your favorite of all the puns in, in, in this section? Because this is a book where the author is clearly just kind of having fun with his favorite puns. The one I really liked was um, when they when they all gave their speeches, and then Milo's all confused, and he's like, "Well, you got to eat your words." He's like, "Oh, yeah." My favorite one is when the king says, "What an ordinary little boy!" Commented the king. Why my cabinet members can do all sorts of things. The duke mm. here can make mountains out of molehills. The ministers split hairs. The count makes hay while the sun shines. The earl leaves no stone unturned, and the undersecretary hangs by a thread. Can you do anything at all? So all those things are like cliches, cliches. people say, making mountains out of molehills. Yeah, and then Milo's like, I'll count to a thousand. And that's like a record scratch, like, and everything's silent because he mentioned numbers. And this kingdom doesn't seem too... Uh, doesn't seem too happy with numbers. by numbers, no, yeah. No, They use them only when they absolutely must. At the end of this section, we get the possibility that the story might be about to change a little. Oh, you're talking about the end of chapter eight? Yeah, because he says to King Azaz, well, why don't you just bring rhyme or reason back? Mm -hmm. And they then are told why this is difficult. But what I want to know is, do you think that means that he's actually going to go on a, on a journey now to go get rhyme or reason and the, and the, the story is going to change a little bit. How do you, what are you looking for as the rest of the story moves on? Yeah. I think as much as I like Dictionopolis, 
I'm ready to leave Dictionopolis. <laughs> it seems There's, like Milo is too. I love being silly. This is getting out of hand. Come on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, enough of the nonsense. <laughs> enough of the nonsense. They've got to get on with their nonsense. I know. So it's they, like, can we get a new kind of nonsense? Yeah, like we need some new nonsense. So it's, it seems a bit like the writer is feeling that too. And I want to see him get in his little little car and 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 get along his way and see what's going on. I want to meet this math magician they keep yeah, talking about. Exactly. Maybe he can. Maybe they can go solve the problem for the kingdom because we definitely the kingdom definitely is having some problems here, and they really do need their rhyme or reason. I also like how the um, the humbug is just agreeing. With whoever's talking, and they're and it's yeah, Milo yeah, and the yeah. King, yeah. King who are clearly having an argument, <laughs> so he just keeps switching sides the whole time. I, I thought that was really funny. So I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Reading this book is kind of different than reading other books. Yeah, agreed. It's just one wordplay pun after another. Yeah, I think your brain is firing. I wouldn't say more than than a regular novel, but in like different ways yeah like so, you're thinking about the actual word structure a lot more sentence structure that's true and you're like trying to make sure you don't miss a joke mm-hmm. do you find yourself uh, do you have to read it differently than you would a book with a with a story well i mean this has a story but with a traditional story um i i would say yes uh i don't know if it's consciously yeah but i think i think you have to get like into the swing of it and then you just kind of accept where you are. Yeah, uh, yeah. just kind of let it let it roll over you, <laughs> let it wash you away into the seas of yeah. Because if, if we talk about like plot, it seems pretty simple. Yeah, but he keeps getting bogged down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by all these characters and their nonsense, uh, but which is very important to the story. Um, but it's not necessarily like you're getting a lot of different flavors of, of characters and, and the, the way they act in this world. But so it's not since, like propelling as much. Yeah. It's, it's hard to describe. It, it's not as, as propulsive what you were going to say. It's not, I, like the story doesn't move you forward as fast. Maybe. Despite that, though, this story is very popular. Like this book has lasted a long time in mm-hmm. terms of it being something that kids and families are buying over and over. Why it's, do you think it's almost as beloved as brownies? <laughs> That's true, yeah, but it's got a. It's not a lazy word. No. Um, why do you think it's so beloved? Given that it's so different and weird in a lot of ways compared to other books, um, I'd say. Well, I, I don't know. I would think the whimsical nature of it. Mm. I think it's got a lot to say to kids and adults, and I think a lot of these characters are really endearing, mm. and they're very memorable. And they like, stick in your mind. So if this book has been around for. When did we say it came out? Was it in the 50s or 40s? 1961. 60s. Okay, so already that's 60 years. Yeah. 60 years worth of kids and families buying this book and reading it. Yeah, and like I remember when I think of the childhood books that I loved, this is one of them. Yeah. And our kids like it. And And it is an adventure. True. It's an adventure with memorable characters and really funny jokes packed in every page. That's true. Yeah. Do you have thoughts on that? I just was, it's just intriguing to me because you could easily see, like if you could easily see a publisher saying, oh, there's not a real, not, not a lot of action here. Mm-hmm. And he says, the action's in the jokes. <laughs> and they, he's like, trust me. Six yeah. years later, the that publisher is glad he trusted Norton Juster. I think Norton Juster, the architect, might not yell like that. Or maybe he would. I've never seen an angry architect, but I, I believe they exist. I, why, why would you think an architect wouldn't get angry? It sounds like a very frustrating job. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I just always figure, I always just assume they're measured. 
<laughs> Graham just got up and left. He got up and left. I don't know why. Um, oh, sorry. That joke was so good. I had to <laughs> take a bow. Architects. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just let. I, I hope Logan put a good sound effect there. I really do. Logan, whatever sound effect you put there, why don't you just put it here again? I'll just be quiet for a second. It was applause. Thank you. I know it was applause. I know it was applause. Joke's on you. (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of our conversation on the Phantom Tollbooth. We are going to talk next week about chapters 9, 10, and 11 as we get to the second half of this book. Speaking of the second half, it's time to get to the second half of this podcast. In just a minute, we're going to come back and we're going to introduce you to John Hendricks, who is is a great illustrator and author of many children's books. So give us a few seconds to drink our cheer wine, eat the rest of our moon pies, and stare out the window. Graham, what's that? Uh, that's grass. <laughs> Is that it? That's grass. Oh, yeah. You've been staring too long. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, uh, so, uh, well, we're back, and it's, uh, it's time to, to introduce you to John Hendricks. He is a New York Times best-selling illustrator and author of many children's books, including... I'm going to list some titles for you. Are you ready? Go for it. Shooting at the Stars... Mm-hmm. Drawing is Magic, mm-hmm. John Brown, His Fight for Freedom, mm-hmm. Miracle Man, The Story of Jesus, The mm-hmm. Faithful Spy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and The Plot to Kill Hitler. Mm-hmm. Those are just a few of the things he's worked on. His illustrations have appeared on book jackets, which is that, it's like the cover that goes around a hardcover book, the paper cover. It's kind of like the jacket that goes around a person. Um, yeah, but books don't have arms, so there's not sleeves. It just wraps around. It's like a shawl. They just call it a jacket. It's like a book shawl. I got it. I got yeah. it. I got but it. book shawl, maybe... A little bit confusing, they, they call it jacket. Uh, he's also been in magazines and newspapers all over the country. He also is a professor of art, teaching illustration at the Sam Fox School of Art and Design at Washington University in St. Louis. He is chair of the MFA in Illustration and Visual Culture, which is, you know, a whole thing you'll learn about one day. So, David, are you saying I should have been calling him Professor this whole time? Yeah, probably. Like maybe Mr. Professor John Hendricks? Uh, Mr. Professor Sir Comma, John Hendricks. Mr. Professor, sir, comma, John. We have to say comma? No, we don't say comma. I'm just... Oh, it's just, uh, just there's a comma there. I Mr. See. Professor, sir, John Hendricks. Yes, Mr. Professor, sir, John Hendricks. Ah, uh, what a blunder. Do you think he was offended? What a blunder. He must have been. Uh, okay, you know what? While the kids are listening to this conversation that we had, mm-hmm. why don't we write a note together that's apologizing to Mr. Professor, sir, John Hendricks. Okay. And just apologize for that. Yeah, like, I agree. That yeah. Okay. All right. So this is our conversation with John Hendricks. We're going to write this note. You have fun listening. And after the conversation, we'll be back with Riddle Time. Well, we are here with John Hendricks, our very special guest. And uh, John, thank you for coming on. Thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you for coming on to, to let your readers get to know you a little bit. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. What is the most uncomfortable thing you'd like to share with a bunch of 10-year-olds who are listening to this podcast today? Don't answer <laughs> that, actually. <laughs> You know, you you end up drawing poop a lot less than you think uh, as, a, as a young person thinking, what am I? I'm going to draw books for children. It's really not part of my job description. So if that's if that's something you're thinking about, uh, I'm sorry, that's it's not going to come true. Right, if that's I'm your gonna, goal in life. I'm going to yeah. check that question off the list. Yep. <laughs> How often do you draw poop was definitely high on the list of, of things that we were going to ask. <laughs> so we have lots of questions from the kids who listen to this podcast and read your books. We've got some questions that we're going to ask and we're going to have a great conversation. But we have to ask you the single most important question 
that anybody ever gets asked on this podcast. It's why we ask it first of every guest. Are you ready for that question, John? I'm so ready. John, Cheetos or Doritos? Oh, I'm a Cheetos man. I, I listen, I will, I will go for both. Absolutely. But to me, the Cheeto puff is the perfect snack food. I, I mean, I, I, the little, you know, the, um, uh, crisps, not the, not the, the true puff to me is the Cheeto. I find the other one to be a bit of a, um, a kind of poser. I I mean, so yeah, both (laughs) me and my daughter are extreme puffs aficionados you need so like thicker yeah, you, a little air in them yeah you yeah. need the air yes yeah and you know i will recommend that a che- cheeto puff in salsa extremely good uh, <laughs> people have been horrified to see me do this but i'm just gonna say give it a shot <laughs> i i you know i'm a hundred percent gonna do that this week yeah. that's going to happen i am a hundred percent not gonna do that <laughs> Coward. <laughs> I, I fully believe that you like this. Mm-hmm. That's what I'll say about that. <laughs> what? How, how could this go wrong? Am I honestly like this? Why is someone horrified by this? This is the great thing about the human race. Yeah, people can have different feelings about foods and I'm fine with it. <laughs> so, okay, John, um, are you generally a snacker while you are drawing and illustrating and working on your projects? Great question. Yes, but never Cheeto puffs that those are absolute danger food for working with art. So my go to snack is gummy bears. I I love them Mm. because they keep for an eternity. Um, (laughs) You can put a big pile on a desk and they kind of I feel like they resist dirt. They're not they like dirt. Things will not stick to them like the Haribo gummy bears. But they can just sit there and kind of be there for the whole day and you can kind of graze on them. They're they're great. So yeah, that's my that's my studio snack of choice. You uh, you one. you might you don't know this, but you're talking to two candy aficionados here. Oh. So do you have a preferred <laughs> brand of gummy bear? Yeah, I, I'm really a gold gold bear guy. I I I will eat the other ones, the sort of off brands, the ones that are more chewy. And some people swear by those. I, I do not love those. I like the Haribo gold bears. So my grandmother lived in Germany. She, she grew up there and my grandpa and my dad growing up would only eat Haribos that were actually the German ones. They didn't like the, the American made ones. They yeah. only liked the German ones. Now you can get them like at world market and stuff. Uh, but I grew up with like my grandparents would have boxes of Haribo stuff. He'd get a whole suitcase of Haribo candy in Germany and then come back with it. And it'd be like licorice and every Haribo brand there was. And it was I had a Haribo. Like a, it was like an experience every time he opened a bag. Yeah. I got one, an advent calendar last year. That was just that, just for that a Haribo advent calendar, which I thought was genius. That is. I, yeah. That's genius. I Absolutely. like the gummy bears that come in a big clear tub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mainly just for quantity. <laughs> um, it doesn't yeah, matter what it says on 99 it. cents for 7,000 of them. <laughs> John, so we've had a couple people tell us that they're Cheeto fans, but they, they offer this caveat as artists like you are. Mm-hmm. Two people, two guests already on this season have told us that they like to eat Cheetos, but with a specific utensil. Can you guess what the utensil is? Oh, it's got to be a chopstick, right? That's right. Two yeah. people have told us it's a chopstick. So is this yeah. something you've ever done before? Yes. Well, you know, they make a little tool for gamers and artists. I don't know if you've seen this, that it attaches onto the back of your hand. And it's like it's like um, two little Wolverine claws that are 
chopsticks that you can pick up foods like that with and eat and not have to get your fingertips on the foods. So yeah. Yeah. Huge fan of that idea. I mean, cause great. You can go one chopstick with a Cheeto, you know, yeah. the, the puff, you could just go straight in like a knife and it would be <laughs> That's true. That's true. I like this. I would love for this to be incorporated into a future project of yours, like someone who's eating eating yeah. Cheetos with this tool. So are uh, you generally... Go ahead, Graham. Well, I was just going to say, um, you said that Cheetos can be very dangerous, especially the puffs, uh, for an illustrator. But have you considered making the Cheeto dust your medium? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, just like you can buy, uh, you know, powdered graphite or powdered huh? like cobalt, you know, blue. Uh, you can get powdered Cheeto puff and mix it directly with some matte medium and some uh, extender. And yes, I've done several works only in Cheeto pigment. <laughs> so I see. Go and do likewise. Your 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 illustrated yes, book. Honestly, of Bob that's perfectly Cheeto. Yes, you you yeah. notice the Cheeto orange in the sunset. Yeah. I want to say it was really impressive work. And really the only reason we brought up Cheetos and Doritos is to be able to eventually ask you about that book and the medium that you use to create it. (laughs) But but let's stick with snacks for now. Are you a savory or a sweet fan overall? I was going to say a savory or a sweet person, but that could mean something else. Yeah, so I I love the combination of savory sweet. Like orange chicken is the perfect example for me. Whereas my wife, Andrea, hates that. That's just like the, like our pineapple on pizza that just like disgusts her. So See, I love pineapple on pizza people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, but, so generally savory, but if I had to pick, but I love the combo coffee or tea coffee. Oh my gosh. No question. You're coffee all day while you're working. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've actually had to, st- I, I used to, uh, I mean, I'm in my mid forties now. I, if, not that long ago, I would put on a pot of coffee about nine or 10 at night because I just love drinking it and I like staying up late. It's a perfect time to get things done. Uh, I have since backed off that as frequently, but you know, I, it's basically caffeine has no effect on me. So I can drink a cup of coffee at night or two and go right to bed. I mean, clearly I'm damaged, but it's, it's, <laughs> you are working properly. <laughs> I don't know if it ever, if like we ever have some sort of major coffee shortage, I will, I will be dead. I mean, it, the, the withdrawal will just, <laughs> Send me to the grave. So all, all the kids out there, anybody out there who's, when you're reading your John Hendricks book, just think of him pounding coffee and shoving gummy bears in his mouth at the same time. That, as he, that is an accurate it. picture. Yes. <laughs> Graham, I think we should uh, visit John and do a documentary on this. Like we need to do like a little documentary short on the life of John Hendricks. Mm-hmm. And a great just like idea. focusing on gummy bears and coffee particularly. Yeah, it it can be like, you know, the movie A Hidden Life. It can be like a caffeinated life or a a (laughs) sticky caffeinated Cheeto dust filled life. (laughs) I like that you are associating your life as an artist eating Cheetos with someone who was standing up to a a great evil. This is a great transition. This is a great transition because this gives us a chance to ask you about the book that I think maybe... I don't actually, I don't know if this is true, but most of the kids who come into our bookstore uh, know you for The Faithful Spy. And could you just kind of give us a summary? This is the one part of the podcast where you are permitted to be serious. Could you just give us a little bit of a sense of what that project is and maybe a little bit of how you, how you came to it and why that story was so meaningful to you? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, was a German theologian and a pastor, and The Faithful Spy is really the story of him and the kind of crisis of faith he ran into in the mid-1930s, living as a man in Germany when he saw the rise of Hitler and the Third Reich, and how that brought all facets of his culture into collision with each other. He loved Germany. He loved his faith. He loved being a Lutheran. He loved Germany. And in that time, you know, Lutheranism and Germany were the same thing. And so when the leader of his country, which he loved, started telling him things which conflicted with his beliefs uh, to the point where even other people who shared his faith seemed to go along with it. It created this massive crisis. Do I obey? Do I disobey? Do I sin by not doing anything or do I sin by doing something? And so he eventually, over the course of his life, um, made the choice to to act. And, and as he saw the, the atrocities committed around him, he just couldn't be silent. And he joined a, a plot uh, along with other conspirators and, and politicians and soldiers um, to assassinate Hitler. And, and though, you know, he was never, he never touched a gun or a bomb. He was kind of the spiritual backbone of the, of the resistance and gave these men who were committing these acts, the sort of moral authority that, that they were allowed to do this uh, as, as people who loved God and their country. So uh, he was, he was tragically martyred uh, just a few weeks before the allies um, made it to his camp, his concentration camp. But it's a it's a, a story that has, um, unfortunately, even today, a lot of resonance uh, in, in our world. So it's one of those things where we kind of think that th that stuff is in the past. And uh, but the, the ideas of where faith intersects with politics and with crisis and 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 action and inaction. I mean, that's just it's it's hard to not see a lot of relevance for that even today. Mm -hmm. Why did you think of doing this as a as a graphic novel for kids? Yeah, well, so I had been making picture books up to that point and mm -hmm. I had read his works in college and I'd read Cost of Discipleship and Life Together and knew his story and thought this would be a great book. But can I it's not a picture book. It's just too much for a picture book. So yeah. it was actually my agent who said, well, why don't you just make a middle grade novel out of it? And. Well, I said, well, I don't know how to do that. She's like, yeah, you do. You just write a picture book, but it's longer. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that you just made it sound real easy. Um, it was not easy, but I really <laughs> thought that this story, I, I loved it because it encapsulated a lot of what I think kids like to read about, which is um, things that present these kind of moral uh, dilemmas, right? Things that that have these high stakes that collide together and provide kids that cognitive dissonance that, that is really attractive to, to children, actually, that's not too complicated for them. It's in fact, the very things they're trying to figure out in that middle grade space. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a perfect example of, you know, I think like, honestly, like Sojourner Truth uh, and, uh, you know, John Brown, story of John Brown, which I did, there's a, there's a lot of, of figures in history that kids latch onto because of those the, the moral connections, the sort of quandary, mm -hmm. the sort of crisis of faith that that lends it to a great space to think about and to learn. And and yeah, that was the goal. Mm. So, John, why did you choose Bonhoeffer as a as a subject? He's a, a really interesting look. It's really difficult. I've found even when talking with adults 
to totally understand how Hitler came to power, right? It's, it's one of those things where you can explain, but it's very hard to understand. And Bonhoeffer gives us a lens into being like a person that's not outside of Germany seeing it happen, but a person that was inside of Germany. And so it gives you, I think, the reader a lens to understand it in a way that I, I've even had adults tell me that it just makes a lot more sense to them now, just how a society that was true, like Germany was truly at the height of all culture, of science, of art, of politics, mm. of theology, and that they would become susceptible to someone like Adolf Hitler. It's a, it's a fascinating story. And it's, it's kind of a warning in a lot of ways to any, any culture that thinks, uh, you know, this is not, this is not for us. That's for those people who are weaker or for, or who are susceptible to propaganda or, but of course that's, this, that's the, it's a condition of the human heart. So mm. it's just part of how it, it works. I mentioned my grandma was from Germany because we were talking about gummy bears, but yeah, she grew <laughs> up. Um, she was the only one of her family, I believe to, to leave Germany um, mm. after the war and come here. And like, she was living in Berlin and Potsdam during the war, like during the bombing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then after the war, they escaped from one side of Germany into the other, you know, when they were putting the wall up, but she would, uh, she'd talk about how, you know, it's so easy to not realize what's going on. And then like, it's too late. Yeah. Well, we were talking about, I was making a joke about the hidden life earlier, but that movie, which was contemporary to Bonhoeffer's story, actually that main character at Terrence Malick film, it's really wonderful. But the, the main character in that film was, imprisoned in Tegel prison in Berlin, the same time that Bonhoeffer was. So it is very likely that they knew each other, um, mm. which was one of the things I did not realize until I watched that, that movie. So mm. there, there are, again, it's just, there's so many stories um, that are untold out there. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of the things I tell young people, like, cause I do a lot of biographies and I, I am convinced that you could make a compelling book out of any person's life, like everyone's story is actually super interesting and has um, d- drama and, and loss and triumph and fear and family and love. And so it's really about how you just how you tell that story. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that, that's often why I, I think I like or respond to, to biographies. Hmm. All right. So we got a really great question here. Uh, what is one fact that surprised you about Bonhoeffer as you were reading or researching about his life? Mm. Man, there's so many. I, with, with this, any book really, but especially with this one, it's almost more about what you leave out than what you put in. Like they just, you don't have a lot of room. And mm. so the stuff that you don't include sometimes really is heartbreaking. One, one of the ones that's really interesting, the facts about him is he wrote to Mahatma Gandhi um, to study mm. with him. He was really taken with him as a figure of resistance, um, but, but, but a peaceful resistance. Bonhoeffer was a pacifist um, and was going to go study with him. And, you know, as the war came on, he, he decided to go to England instead and, and it just didn't work out. And it's one of those funny intersections of history that, you know, you just kind of wonder, you know, what would have happened if he had gone to India or what would have happened if he had stayed in um in England and been a contemporary of, of C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, and, and Tolkien as a, as a mm. theologian, you know, I, you just sort of imagine these different world. I mean, we would study Bonhoeffer and his work as a theologian, even if he had not had this um, collision course with the third Reich, but be, because of that added to his works, um, what his works were about, it really does sort of coalesce as this just kind of remarkable 
life and, and window into a particular place in time. I think one of the things that kids love about this book, I know my, my boys do, is how kind of exciting the story is and like the spy aspect of it. So mm-hmm. for you, was that a fun part of it? Are you a fan of spy stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was pitching the book, that was part of the thing that really, you know, drew in my publisher. Uh, and it's why we yeah. hit it in the title. You know, it's very, yeah. it's very interesting. Um, it's, it's, a strange, it's a strange thing to be interested in in a way because it's like, that's not a common human experience. But yeah. man, especially <laughs> in this case, for, for him to be a double agent, um, you know, working against the Nazis as a pastor who was a pacifist, who was smuggling out Jewish um, citizens. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty compelling story. And, and most yeah. people do not know it. You know, if you ask who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, maybe people will know Corey Ten Boom. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, Schindler's List brought up this kind of idea of the person working inside of Germany to to rescue people. But, you know, Bonhoeffer's story should be a lot more well-known in my mind. Hmm. All right. So shifting gears just slightly, uh, John, can you tell us about some of your favorite books uh, when you were a kid? And since you're an illustrator, maybe also we can include like comic books in their graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Well, almost all of my books I, I loved because of the pictures, right? I, I read them. I read books, but only to get to the images, basically. Is, is that because you can't actually read? I I can only read images. Yes. So, but the good news is that letters are images. So I have learned to string words together and create out of them in my mind. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering. I read The Hobbit, of course. Uh, I read Narnia. The I love. I mean, Smaug is probably the first time I ever really saw a dragon. You know, in I was trying to trace back, like, what's the first dragon I ever saw? And I guarantee it was on this 1984 copy of the Houghton Mifflin edition of The Hobbit uh, that I carried around like a Bible. So I read I read that. Um, I read the Dragonlance books um, as I got a little older. The I mean, the amount of headspace that um, Choose Your Own Adventure books and the Dungeon and Dragons um, series of narrative books took up in my mind is just it's hard to overstate. Um, is disturbing the word you're looking for? Yes. And, and, and of course it, you would think I'd be writing, um, you know, D and D campaign guides as a, as a grown up for all the time. That I <laughs> but, uh, I also read, I loved, um, you know, illustrated picture books too. David mm. McCauley's, you know, cathedral and pyramid oh, yeah. and castle. I love yeah. those things where like you could, you could do like cutaways of things and see inside of stuff. Um, those are awesome. I, I think it was basically like I would, I loved learning, but I needed pictures for it. And so anything that gave me like the ability to learn through visually composing things in my mind, I, I, I wouldn't have articulated it that way, but I think I just really, really ate that stuff up. Um, mm-hmm. The way things work, another David McCauley book I loved. Graham, we got this question about like palette or style, right? This seems like a good time to ask that. What, what was that question? Yeah, so I just wanted... To- John to give or to have an opportunity to talk a little bit about his style and his color palette because they seem very unique um, to you. You have your own style and your your color choices. Uh, I when I look at any of your books, I can I can kind of pick out that it's you. So how did that develop? <laughs> and did it come did it come from those books that you're talking about? You think? Well, I think all of the things that as makers, right? We're sort of collecting flotsam and jetsam throughout the world. <laughs> 
that is, I think, called in one way or another visual culture, right? So when you're a five-year-old, the kind of cartoons you're watching, when you're a 12-year-old, what books you're reading, when you're a teen, what kind of games are you playing? What Are you collecting baseball cards? Do you like Chinese food menus, right? All this stuff is part of the visual culture that creates this yeah. kind of mulch in your mind. And you accumulate that stuff. And eventually, if you're making things, that it sort of trickles out into your work that way. Um, and so I, I think that's where my colors, my ideas, my drawings all come from. They all they all start from a collection of influences. But yeah, I've I've heard that before that people can notice my works a mile away. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I think it is a compliment, um, but it also feels like maybe I don't have as much range as I, as I think I do. <laughs> Graham's shaking his head. No, take, take that as a compliment. <laughs> no, well, so, no hidden meaning there. So yeah. when you're working on something, do you do, does that, is it purposeful or is it just sort of subconscious? Like it's that Flotsman Jepsen spilling out onto the page. Or are you like, these are the kind of things that I know I like to do or that I know I'm good at. And mm-hmm. so I, I put that in, like I'm working on the Faithful Spire children's book. And I know this is the kind of shapes or images or colors that I just know how to use. There are some parts that are absolutely intuitive. Like, I don't know, that should be read, you know? And then there are yeah. some parts <laughs> that are analytical where I have to say, I'm going to make a, a collection of five columns of things and I'm going to pick the best one. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to try this one. So you need both of those processes yeah. for making. But, you know, mm-hmm. one thing I do want to say to the young people, if they're listening you should not think that I'm good at this because I'm talented. I actually think that that is one of the things that prevents people from trying to make art is that they imagine that certain people have the ability to do it really well without any practice. And that if you struggle with making a drawing, that that's proof that you shouldn't be doing it because you're not talented. And I I just have thousands and thousands of hours of making drawings and picking colors and drawing typography And so, of course, it looks like I can do it without ever doing it wrong. But that is not normal. That's not how you start. So every everything that you're going to try in life is going to start with you kind of failing at it, (laughs) which is a real bummer. But I just I just see so many young people are like, oh, I'm not talented for drawing. And they're saying this at like 13 years old. I'm like, you have no idea if you're talented or not. You should just make stuff that you enjoy. And let and let that be the thing you try to chase as much as possible instead of, you know, is this good? Is this bad? I've honestly been like convicted about that in myself because whether I was told this probably by my siblings or, or whether I was just like intuited it that I wasn't naturally good at drawing or music or things like that. I kind of just gave up on them when they were harder at first. Yeah. And so now as an adult, I'm like, I really wish I knew how to at least do some baseline pl- of playing the piano or something like that, you know? And I'm like, convicted that I want to do it now. So yeah, if you're listening, don't give up just because it doesn't seem like it's natural. Well, and I fully believe in, in gifts. Like yeah, I, I yeah. believe people have been given gifts and some of that is just like the desire to want to make music, right? Like, mm-hmm. or the desire to pick up media and push it around and the satisfaction of getting charcoal under your fingernails. Like there are things that we've been given and that's the thing that, that is the the true gift, right? But this idea that talent is bestowed and that equals, you will never struggle. uh, I just think that's a very false, like cultural liturgy that, that uh, in fact, Instagram teaches everyone as well. True. 
I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to put an Instagram video up of me making a drawing that was just awful. Like it's, it's a, it's like a thing that, that privileges, you know, this, this narrative of we do everything great all the time. And that's not, that's really not what art is. So, so, but what about illustrations of poop? Mm -hmm. Well, those, those come naturally. You either have it or you don't. (laughs) And let me tell you, I have it. Okay. (laughs) I was at one time I did. I used to uh, do a lot of work as an editorial illustrator, which means for magazines and newspapers. And I did a piece for Sports Illustrated once where a, a very famous football player had uh, kind of pretended to, to moon the crowd. And they wanted Randy me to Moss. That. What's that? Randy Moss. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I, I, and well, I had to draw him, you know, pretending to pull his pants down on the field. And I remember thinking as I'm drawing this, that just like, this is the low point of my career. Whatever this is, like, I'll never show anyone this again. <laughs> so now that you're talking about this, this career, like, when did you know that you wanted to pursue illustration as a job? And, and did you know at the time that you'd be drawing people uh, mooning crowds? <laughs> I, this, that, that still comes up in my house as the low point, but... Uh, the low point? <laughs> I, I knew, or the high point. I knew that I wanted to draw for as long as I can remember. But I just didn't know what that was called. I mean, it took me to get to college until I realized that illustration was what I loved. I, I kind of thought I wanted to go into comics or I did an internship when I was in seventh grade for, with an architect because I thought, well, I think they draw. Maybe that's the closest I can get. And it's crazy. But I think looking back, I thought all those books that I enjoyed, those were like hobbies or something or like they didn't they didn't get paid to do that because why would someone get paid to make this awesome book it was probably like something for fun so when i finally got to college and found the category of illustration then it was like oh this is exactly what i want to do and i had never really identified that as a category before all right josh no go ahead go ahead go ahead no go ahead go ahead <laughs> no, we, we lost it now. Like that's no, no, no. Okay. Uh, okay. So John, yeah. I, our, our listeners cannot see you right now. We have the privilege of seeing you and I'm looking into whatever room you're in right now. I, I maybe a study or, or kind of a workshop space. I see two a lot things. of trophies up there. I uh-huh. see two things and I'm going to give you the option to talk about either one of these. Okay. I see a giant cardinal head in what appears to be some sort of witch's hat. Uh-huh. And it looks and then on the other side of the room I see one two three four five bowling trophies. Mhm. Is that correct? Yeah, it's correct. You've identified I mean very impressive to get the cardinal and that is a Gandalf hat uh, on top of the cardinal head. Mm. Um, I mean but really we could describe anything in the power the theater of the mind here. I could be it's in sort true. of a a castle. I could be a top baradour for all uh, our listeners know, but it's true. Kinds uh, of Moria. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm. My current project is a very, very long form graphic novel about the friendship between Mr. J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. And oh, wow. so I am deep in the throes of that. And so there's lots of um, Lord of the Rings ephemera around to encourage me. And I love, I'm from St. Louis and the Cardinals play here. So I do have a giant plastic Cardinal head that I could take to a ball game. Should I want to annoy my family? Or if it has the hat on still, you could bring to a 
Lord of the Rings convention. That's right. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do wear the Gandalf hat when we play uh, board games. Um, I find it. It's a great. It's a great intimidating item to have when you're playing board games. <laughs> the giant gray pointy hat. Just to clarify, is the collection of bowling trophies also somehow related to this Tolkien C.S. Lewis project? They did not bowl as far, far as I know. Uh, though my grandmother and grandfather were bowlers. And when um, they died probably 20 years ago now, they had a, they have a farmhouse that's still there. And, you know, they never clean anything out of it. And I, I went there a few years ago and the bowling trophies seemed so sad. So I, I took them with me to remember them. But mm. I do love bowling. I, I'm not very good at it. You don't have any trophies? I have no, I have zero bowling trophies. Well, you know what? Speaking of trophies, Graham, I think this brings us to the part of the show where, where he gets to win a trophy. It's quiz time. Is a, a hypothetical trophy. Okay. Well, he, I mean, he has to draw it for himself and then oh, hang it on the wall, but very good. I'm doing it okay, right now. Like Look this. at the drawing I'm making. The, ever, the readers, uh, the listeners cannot see it, but listen, this is an incredible trophy drawing I'm making. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was really amazing how quickly you did that, I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> Just incredible skill. Wow. All right, John, we have a very serious quiz for you. Okay. Um, what we like to do uh, is kind of theme a quiz for the author um, or illustrator around something that connects it to the author or illustrator. So this one, spy quiz, made the most sense. Oh, fabulous. So question one, they're all multiple choice. That's not true. Some of them are multiple <laughs> choice. <laughs> all right. Are you nervous? I am. I feel like this is something I should have like a pretty workable understanding of. I did go to the National Spy Museum in Berlin uh, where I I got to see an Enigma, an original Enigma machine. Um, Wow. What else? You're way too overqualified for this quiz. There are some props from several James Bond movies there. I got the feeling that this was not a a real spy museum, but more of a tourist trap. But okay, okay, there you were. Yeah. No, it sounds like it sounds like you're overqualified, but we'll continue. Yes. Okay. Question one. Nathan Hale, a spy for the Continental Army during the American Revolution, who was captured by the British and whose famous last words, I only regret that I have but one life to lay down for my country, mm-hmm. are just kind of the best. During his time as an American spy in New York City, what type of disguise did he put on? Was he a, an A, a Dutch schoolmaster? B, a squab salesman? Or C, a tree? <laughs> okay, so one of these is not like the other. It must be that one. I know Mr. Nathan Hale himself, the writer and illustrator of Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales, amazing books for children uh, about historical events, graphic novels. I've been trying to get him on this podcast since the beginning. I will, I will work on that for you. He's <laughs> a delight. Um, I have read the original Nathan Hale, Nathan okay. Hale's Tales. Okay. And I have seen the TV show Turn, which is about mm. the spies under Washington. Mm-hmm. And all that to say, I have no idea. What <laughs> Go with tree. 
I hope it is a tree because so I'm going to say that. Okay, so you 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 think that he disguised himself as a tree and just imagine solitary. him walking down, yes, in the in the middle of colonial Manhattan, uh-huh. and he's wearing kind of a, almost like a barrel, but it's got some <laughs> um, like branches coming out of it. This and, is what this is what I want to believe. And maybe they discovered him immediately, but felt really bad and let him just be there for a couple months before they nabbed yes. him. Yes. Here's the thing. I, if you see someone as a tr- disguised as a tree, you probably assume they're so bad at their job that they're not actually like, you know. Yeah, or you think they're just, they've lost their mind, so they're not a threat, right? True, true. Yeah. This is the this is the Liz Lemon theory of wearing a <laughs> Leia costume to the jury selection. Oh, <laughs> well, I haven't thought about that in a while. <laughs> this, that is, actually, that is probably like such a dated reference now that no one knows what it is, but. We do. Uh, we enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. It's probably B, but I really like the content opportunity for C. So that's why I guessed it. Grant, what's the answer? <laughs> Grant's okay. laughing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, the forcefulness and the um, just the audacity to pick tree, which mm-hmm. is the incorrect answer, oh. makes me want to award you a point for this Thank anyway. You. So, Thank you. so I'm going to count it as correct. It was a Dutch schoolmaster. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. And now, well, that was only question one. All right. Question two. In the spy world, a mole is a long-term agent or an mm-hmm. informant inside an organization. Okay. Tracking. It is so named because like a mole who lives underground, uh-huh. they too are very, are very much dug undercover. Mm-hmm. But I'm more interested in real moles. This seems very tangentially related to spies, by the way, but I'll (laughs) I'll let it go. Correct. Moles can paralyze their prey with their saliva. They can dig 18 feet an hour. Uh They can smell in stereo, meaning Uh that each nostril can register different smells. Okay, that's awesome. Wow. No, 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 no. On a scale from one to 10, how terrifying is this creature? (laughs) I have not even, I, I don't even have, this is like saying to someone, come up with a new color. The idea of what, what does smelling in stereo even, I don't even understand what that would give you in, to some degree. Multiple threats, right? Yes. If you'll remember from the end of the original Incredibles, uh, I believe it was the Mole Man who uh, it came, it came out right, right before the credit breaks. And said and said to the world, I, I am the underminer. You are you are never above me, but I'm always below you or, so, or something <laughs> like that. So I'm going to say this creature is a full on 10 in terms of uh, scariness. Correct. Moles are terrifying. Thank you. <laughs> Question three. We all know that spy gadgets are just the coolest. Correct. Which of these would you choose if you could? Have one for free. Invisible ink pen. Okay. A shoe phone. Okay. Or camera clad <laughs> pigeon. Uh-huh. Oh, I mean, if there's an animal involved, it's the pigeon for sure. Because I, I feel like the pigeon would be in on it too. You, you can't just put it on any pigeon. So it would be like a highly trained spy pigeon. I would love that. I feel like we almost have shoe phones now with our iPhone. Um, and <laughs> that's true. And an invisible pen. I, I feel like I can do that with lemon juice. But man, 
of, of my own personal spy pigeon, that's incredible. And a pigeon is one of those things that like not everybody is going to expect to be a spy tool because yes, there's just right. a lot of them. So also, it yes, the rat of the air, right? So you're just like, no one would waste <laughs> time on this bird. It does call to mind, though, the theory that birds are not real. Mm-hmm. Yep, somehow, I suppose. All right. The pigeon was the correct answer. You got that one right. Thank you. Uh, last question. Carmen San Diego. Oh. All right. In the original 1985 Where in the World is Carmen San Diego game, Carmen is a former spy for the intelligence service of Monaco. Huh. And she is an agent, a double agent, a triple agent, a quadruple agent for so many countries that even she has forgotten which one she's working for. <laughs> but she is the head of Vile, or the Villains International League of Evil, which is a little on the nose, but we'll I, let it go. Yeah, it seems like I don't think they would, you know, name themselves such an on-the-nose acronym, but whatever, continue. All right. One of these <laughs> characters is not a member of Vile. Mm. Is it A, Patty Larceny, <laughs> B, Dr. Sarah Bellum, or C, John Hendricks? Uh-huh. Uh, so I played the original Carmen Sandiego game when it came out, when you would buy it and it came with its own almanac because that was how you solve some of the questions. So I'm going to go with C. I was not a part of that original game. I was, in fact, playing it. <sighs> okay. I suppose that's correct. I, I wanted to put that in there just in case there was some reveal that was coming. It was more of a fishing question. Right. All right. Appreciate you got that. that one right. That's four for four. John, have you heard of this book that was written in like 1934 and it was a murder mystery book, but it was created by a guy who also created crossword puzzles. And so what you do is you had to solve the crosswords to solve the murder cases and you'd like oh. take the book apart and apparently it only six people ever in history have ever solved it. And one of them just happened during like the pandemic. I think I saw that. Was this a TikTok? I, I think I yeah. saw it got brought thinking. back. It got republished. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That seems insane to me. There, there was also a, a very famous kids book um, in the 80s that was published in England that was these very ornate detailed paintings that were all clues that led to a literal buried treasure of gold somewhere in England. Mm. And it was this massive craze of people buying this book and trying to decode exactly where it was. Um, what a great way to sell a book. Seriously. <laughs> this is, this is the biggest scam of all time. But it, so a lot of people doubted that there was even a treasure at all. Uh, but it, it was actually uh, found finally. Uh, let me see if I can track that that name down because it is it's a crazy story. I thought you were going to say for a second. Let me see if I can track down the treasure. Let me see if I can find the treasure. Oh, you're yeah, the, you're the one that that, that's, that found it. <laughs> well, okay, we got to let you go in a second, but before we do, we got to do our word of the week. And in order to do our word of the week, well, everybody knows how this works. We're going to have to go downstairs, Graham. I think it's your turn, right? You it's strange because we're in the basement of the bookstore now, so we have to go to the sub basement, right? The where the bookstore seller. troll lives and get this word. So yes, it is my turn. I will go. Okay, I'm back. Didn't take too long. 
Uh, no, he he requested a phone, like a landline phone that mm. could be put in his um, lair and uh, one right next to us um, mm. as we do our podcast. So he doesn't have to see us anymore and we can just call him. Okay. So but, does he want, can, can it be a portable one? Does it have to be like a rotary phone? Like, does he care about exactly how? Well, he described it in great detail. It's very ugly phone, probably from the 70s. I, I vetoed the <laughs> idea though. I don't want to be called, I don't want to be at his beck and call. Wait, hold on. We can veto the ransom ideas? Well, I asked him what else, what else he would, you know, would take. Okay. So we settled on a notepad for the door. So okay. he no longer has to see us face to face. I can write down requests and slide them under. So this is an easy okay. one. This is a simple it, one. It, it sounds a bit like the troll is both lonely, but also wants to be alone mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, he's an enigma. <laughs> so are you, can you take care of that? So that we yeah, can I'll, be right, to, I'll be right back. There's some word of the week. Okay, thank you. Hurry up. All right, I got the word. Here you go, David. John Hendricks, Graham, are you ready for this? Ready. Okay, this week's word of the week is hemi-demi-semi-quaver. Hemi-demi-semi-quaver. H-E-M-I-D-E-M-I-S-E-M-I-Q-U-A-V-E-R. So we're going to take a minute to come up with definitions for this word. And then we'll come back and we'll share what we think this word means. All right, I'm going to pace for one minute. It's time to share our definitions. Our custom here on the show is that Graham goes first, and then I'll go, and then batting in the third order will be our special guest. Graham, take it away. What does hemi-demi-semi-quaver mean? Okay, so um, you know measurements of distance, right? Miles, kilometers. Meters, so forth, yep. Millimeter. All right, this is a very specific measurement of distance. It is, if you think about our solar system as the... the, uh, Satellites are are traveling out, or the the rockets, different planets. We measure those in in miles or whatever. But between Neptune and Pluto, you have to switch over to hemidemi semiquaver. That is the unit that is measured between those two planets. And if you're curious, the distance between those two is three of those. Ah, okay. It's very similar to the Millennium Falcon doing the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs, which is actually not uh, a time but a distance. And so, yes, I, I, I completely agree with this definition. Oh, I've, I've always wanted to dig into this 12 parsecs thing and doing it in 12. Like, I've got a lot of questions about that. But that's oh, they have, a, they have an amazing retcon explanation. It has to do with him skipping through that wormhole, which actually bends space. And so what he's actually saying, even though, of course, it was incorrect written in the original New Hope, it's actually they have retconned it to mean that he has bent uh, the actual distance he has to travel as as opposed to time. Yeah, David, you and I saw Solo together. You don't remember this? Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I think that hemi-demi-semi-quaver is, it's the word for the kind of hunger that occurs deep in your stomach that is specifically for something sweet, mm. specifically, specifically uh, that comes upon you when you're on a spy mission for king and country. Wow. And this is a snack that you that you typically are jonesing for something shaken, not stirred. Right. So that's what I think sem- hemi-semi-demi-quaver is, or whatever this word is. John, what do you think the hemi-demi-semi-quaver is? Well, I think it is a person who has a frequent habit of ripping a hole in their pants while bending over to draw a drawing of a, of a 
poop, basically. So <laughs> this, this is, it's something I have a lot of familiarity with and that is real definition. Okay. Well, we're going to find out if that's what the real definition is. Just give me one second to open this envelope. Okay. Hemi, Demi, Semi, Quaver is a musical timing of 164th. Huh. Boring. I, that, that is way too boring. We got to pick one of ours to be the, the next official one. <laughs> <laughs> Hemi, Demi. I, I really want to know how they got to Hemi, Demi, Semi, Quaver is 164th musical timing. That seems like I can. I, there's got. Another short documentary. How about yeah. how about using the phrase one sixty fourth? It's a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. That's what people yeah. do. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we got to let you get out of here. Before we do, though, you mentioned that you're working on this C.S. Lewis J.R.R. Tolkien graphic novel, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Do you have an ETA on that? Uh, I'm hopefully going to finish it, so it'll be out in fall of twenty three. Uh, or very early 24. Um, and so I'm, I'm in the midst of making the art right now. The, the title is The Myth Makers. Cool. Nice. That sounds great. You offered a little bit of advice for kids earlier on the podcast. And advice being, you know, don't worry if you're not great at something right away, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's a question we always ask, but do you want to add anything else to that? Or do you think that's like the number one thing, piece of advice you'd give to, to kids who want to be artists and authors and things like that? Uh, you know, I will add to that and say, just carry a sketchbook and a pen with you and learn to think by drawing. Drawing is not just making a picture that looks like the world. That's actually a very limited form of drawing. Um, drawing is actually thinking. And so if you can learn to keep ideas in a visual form just with you all the time, um, those become kind of your greatest uh, source of ideas and inspiration. So carry a sketchbook, try to draw as much as you can. And when you draw, use a pen. You don't, you don't need to draw with a pencil that has an eraser on it because you're just going to be thinking about erasing stuff. Just, just draw with a pen and, and let the lines be where they are, good, bad, ugly, and, and go to the next drawing. That's the best way to learn. Mm. That is excellent advice. All right. The last thing that we have our guests do uh, is challenge an author, an illustrator friend to suffer the slings and arrows of the Withy Windle podcast. Do you have anybody in mind? Oh, well, it's got to be Mr. Nathan Hale, the spy that dressed the tree. I, I, I hope that he will. I hope that he will join us. All right, Nathan Hale, you've been challenged. And we want to specify the living Nathan Hale. Yes. Right? Okay. I, I actually, it's, it's unclear to me if he is not the embodied sort of spirit of the original Nathan Hale or not, but uh, he might want to speak to that more than me. Yeah, that does seem like something we should definitely ask him. It's, uh, it's been a live question in my mind for years. <laughs> well, maybe you should come on too uh, with him, and then we can like let you two just you know figure some things out together. It might be good to let you guys just kind of work that out in public. And I was saying when I said live question, I was doing that with scare quotes. So just the theater of the mind. I was doing a pun. So, oh yeah, got it. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and hanging out, and thank you for your books. Good luck with the new projects, and uh, let us know how we can help spread the word. All right. Thanks, guys. Graham, that was our conversation with Mr. Professor Sir John Hendricks. And Mr. Professor Sir John Hendricks is a great guy. He, we had a great time talking. Was, He's a great artist. Excellent. Check out his books. 
Um, we finished our letter. It, yeah, yeah. We got a little carried away. It's very large. Yeah. It's the size of um, a 10 foot canvas. Yeah. It's and we're going to, it's going to be a whole thing trying to figure out how to get it to him. But being an artist and an illustrator, he should appreciate it. You that. had all this paper laying around, but we, we really gravitated toward that canvas that you had in the corner. It I know. was irresistible. It was irresistible. And I thought your idea of the throwing of paints yes, was a yeah. good idea. So we had the, you know what? Never mind. It's a, it's a whole thing. It's a very large letter. I mean, it's a, it's a large, it's a very large, uh, uh, format, True. but it really just says Mr. Professor, Sir John Hendricks, sorry. Right, right. Cause we, we couldn't. Lots of interesting designs yeah. around that. And we, we really, you know, there was some glitter, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's lots of colors, at least 700 colors. Huh. There's a lot going on. So, um, I think he'll appreciate it though, being an artist. So, but Graham, that brings us to the final segment of this week's episode. Riddle time. Now, you gave the riddle last week. You shared a riddle. Did we get some correct answers for that? Uh, yeah. Do you know the correct answer to I it? I do. Oh, okay. I do. Um, so this was, a, this was a little sneaky riddle. Um, we, Mr. We, sneaky Sneak? Mr. Sneak Sneak. So we had uh, Franklin DeSmith. Franklin DeSmith? Franklin yeah. DeSmith. <laughs> uh, he was a runner, and he knew that he would place in the race because of his pace. Uh, so yeah. he knew he was I remember all good. this. You remember this. So, uh, so he's running along. He's getting closer. He's, he, he sees second place in front of him. He passes second place mm-hmm. and crosses the finish line. What place is he in? Uh, this one, I don't, I don't know if it's too hard, um, but most people, I think, gut reaction is, well, he came in first. He did not. If you pass second, you become in second. So he ended in second place. He passed second place. To end in second place. Sneaky, sneaky, Mr. Sneaky, sneaky. (laughs) Yes, very sneaky. Mr. Tricky, tricky. That one did not seem to trip up very many of our (laughs) listeners, though. uh, I got almost... In their race for the right answer? I got almost... um, Hey, that was pretty good. (laughs) I, I think I got all right answers, and then one answer that I thought was very good that said he finished the race at the finish line. (laughs) <laughs> also correct we will accept true. it true technically that is correct so as with anything that you're communicating with us about you can email us at podcast at goldberrybooks.com to share what you think the answer to this week's riddle is just as you shared your, your thoughts on the answer to last week's riddle which of course that brings us to a new riddle Graham it's my week for a riddle I've got one for you are you ready I cannot wait for this week's riddle okay so I want you to imagine Mm-hmm. You're driving a bus. At the first stop, two women get on. Okay. Two women. They're about 60, 65 years old. They have uh, purses. One of them's got a little lap dog, like a little puppy. What's the watch situation? Um, well, one of them is wearing... I don't know why that matters. One of them is wearing a, a, uh, a Rolex, and one of them is just wearing like a cheap... Walmart watch. Okay, I just want to make sure there's no pocket watch. Um, there's no pocket watch. I don't like pocket on. watches on buses, so... Okay. Well, no, nobody like that. I don't know. Right. Who wears a pocket watch on a bus? I got a, I got a very specific phobia. <laughs> but yeah, it's fair. I mean, you know, we're all afraid of something. Uh, at the second stop, three men get on. And okay. one woman gets off. Here's the thing, though. Mm. One of the three men that got on? Pocket watch. Uh, okay, I'll allow it for now. It's just one. Okay. So just one of the five people so far is... Uh, is is wearing a pocket watch? Okay, okay. But the, but he also is wearing a top hat and an ascot. 
So, oh, so it fits the it fits the outfit. Right, exactly. It fits the outfit. It's okay. appropriate. At the third stop, three kids and their mom get on, and a man gets off. None of the kids have pocket washes, ascots, or top hats, but the mom does have a stroller. Mm. The bus is gray, okay, and it's raining outside. What color is the bus driver's hair? What? So it, the bus is gray. It's raining outside. You get all these people on there. What color is the bus driver's hair? I have no idea, and I feel like this is one I'm going to have to listen to a number of times. The whole watch situation just really threw, <laughs> like, I'm in my own head right now. So uh, I do not know the answer to this riddle, but I will figure it out, as well, will our listeners. Well, the good thing is you have a week to do that. I have that. a week, yeah. yeah you can, so, so think about this riddle. Send us what you think the answer to this question is. What color is the bus driver's hair? And you can email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com okay. to share what you think. Yeah, so I've got six days to try to um, vacate my head of watches and, and on buses. Unless the watches are part of the answer. Interesting. Well, then I will not be thinking about this riddle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confused by how that was the next thing that you decided. <laughs> Me too. Well, that brings us, Graham, to the end of another episode of Withy Wendell. It's the end of the fifth episode of the threeth season. And thanks to John Hendricks to, oh, oh, I did it again. We have to write another letter. Thanks uh, to Mr. Professor John, Mr. Professor Sir John Hendricks for coming on and being our guest and talking about his books and about art. I'll get the paint out. Yeah, we're going to be here a while. We should probably just keep, you know. Hey, this is the halfway through the season. True. Midway point. Midway point. It's the afternoon of the season. <laughs> no, it's just the noon of the season. Oh, <laughs> next week will be the afternoon. <laughs> That's of right. The, the afternoon of the season. Uh, again, if you want to fe- give feedback to us on any of the questions that we asked this week, you can email us at podcast at goldberrybooks.com. You can also follow along on Instagram. Graham, where can people follow along on Instagram? Uh, our account name is called Goldberry underscore studios, but also if you type in Goldberry studios, it'll come up. It's got a gold G with a green, green background. Uh, make sure you have your parents' permission before you're typing things in the old apps. <laughs> it's just a good rule of thumb, probably for the rest of your life. All right, and don't forget, next week we're going to talk about chapters 9, 10, and 11. We're mixing that up as we're going from two chapters to three chapters for this next segment. And of course, we'll have another interview for you. More jokes, more riddles, more shenanigans, more nonsense. But for now, that's the end of this week's nonsense. Till next time, happy reading. Hello. Hello.